Hi there, this is Kelly Amstutz, the genealogy investigator. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Crime Travel. I'm really excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, I have a really great case that I'm calling a deed of blood. It's kind of a little bit of an intersecting case. Um, so I'm going to try not to get us too muddled into it all. <laughs> but um, if you saw my social media, I am trying to build up some engagement and I proposed a question to everybody. Um, what is the strangest item in your family archive? Um, and I had a couple of clients that had great, great things for me that I shared. Um, one of them had a walking cane that they were asking around about. They had never seen it before and they started asking around about it. And they found out that they had an ancestor that was a mule trader at one time, which is fascinating. And this cane had just been handed down after generation and generation. Um, there was another client that I had that found like a little tin and inside there was Pete's and which is like super weird. Um, he didn't really tell me the specifics, but he said that his grandmother, I believe it was, had brought it over from Ireland when she came here when she was 10 years old. Um, so just some really cool stories. I can't wait to read your responses. It's on Instagram and Facebook. So please um, share. I would love to you know, tell your story on the podcast. I want to start telling some stories on the next episode. I think it's December 6th. I could be a little wrong. Um, and then I have one more for the end of the year. So plenty of opportunity to share. Please engage. I can't wait to hear. Um, and then just a little housekeeping. Um, I just want to highlight that the world's largest genealogy conference is getting ready to happen in 2024, um, which is Roots Tech. I'm not a paid sponsor, but I'm still super, super excited. Um, I'm a fellow attendee and um, registration is open. So what are you waiting for? Um, the conference is going to take place February 29th through March 2nd, 2024. There's two ways that you can experience this year. You can go in person to Salt Lake City. Um, there's options for three-day passes at $99 and one-day passes at $69. Or you can experience the entire conference including those past conference speaker sessions free online. Because I am not a traveler, I'm going to be attending online, and I cannot wait to hear about the incredible 200-plus new online sessions that are going to be taking place. Um, and I get to do it from the comfort of my own office here. Um, plus, when you attend online, you still get um, access to digital syllabuses, um, any class handouts for any sessions that you opt in to attend. Um, last year, I learned so much from the Roots Tech Conference, as I do every year, and I know 2024 is going to be no different. Um, there's so much valuable information, and it really just helps keep me up to date with all the new and up-and-coming trends within the genealogy community. So it's a really valuable tool for me personally. Um, you can register now online for free, um, or you can get your tickets to go to Salt Lake City. It, it's, it happens uh, February 29th through March 2nd, 2024, and more details can be found at www.familysearch.org slash Roots Tech. So please be sure to check that out. It's super, super exciting. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into our story tonight. Um, it is Thanksgiving, so I do want to just take a moment and say Happy Thanksgiving. 
I know you're not supposed to do that on your podcast, but you guys, it is what it is. So I'm super, super excited. I hope everyone's having a great Thanksgiving. Um, I am not recording this live, so I am a little bit a little bit ahead, not much. It's just, it's, it's Monday here. So the Monday before, but I have things tomorrow and I have things on Wednesday. We, we have a tradition. Um, speaking of family traditions, we have a tradition where we uh, make our own stuffing and it's all the women in the family get together. Uh, my kids take part as well. So that's, it's going to be a really busy rest of the week <laughs> as it is, I'm sure for most people. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. Um, and as I said tonight, our episode is called A Deed of Blood. We're going to go to the Fremont Weekly Journal. It's the 14th of January, 1854. It's a Saturday, and this made page two. The headline reads, Another Murder in Salido. And it says two women of bad repute named Biddy Fury and Catherine Gilner had a quarrel about a pair of gloves. And you didn't hear me right. I said gloves. Um, the wretch, I'm reading this word for word. We will not call her woman. Fury, Biddy Fury. She drew a large jerk knife and stabbed Catherine Gilner in the left breast, penetrating through the stomach and liver, causing almost instant death. So, I don't know what was so fancy about these gloves, but Biddy was not having it. Um, the writer of this article then put, um, they were both drunk. Um, and then she proposed, or here they propose a question who sold the liquor? Who owns the saloon in the upper part of the city? And this is, did happen in Slate, Ohio. So, um, so this is how we're going to start our story off. Um, fun times, right? So now, as we dig in a little bit more, it's January 18th. So, 1670. So it's like five days, four days later, right? 1854. This is from the Cleveland Herald. And it was on page two. And it says, we are called upon to chronicle a deed of blood. Within a few months, we have published details of two murders happening in Toledo, Ohio. Today, we add a third one to the list. So I'm just going to pause there for a minute because that made me start thinking like there's two other murders that happened in Toledo around the same time. Like what is going on? So I put my little detective hat on and I go to work. I unfortunately can only find one other murder. Um, and it happened on the 29th of December of 1853. Um, the, the headline, it really, it was kind of like a sub, it was on page one, but it was like a sub article. Um, and it just read murder in Toledo. John Fisk last Thursday night assaulted a man named Arthur Green, which resulted in the death of the latter on Saturday morning. The circumstances of the murder were briefly these. Green and Fisk and company with several others called at a grocery near the first lock on the evening of the murder, accompanied by a woman of ill fame. Are you seeing a trend here? Because we're dealing with prostitutes. Um, they drank several times and some of them, including the deceased and the prisoner, became much intoxicated. Fisk then began to boast of his ability to whip any man who said he could whip Big Joe, one of the company. He made some hostile demonstrations against Mr. Green, and the latter was persuaded to leave while Mr. Fisk was kept in the store for some time. When he did leave, he went up the canal in pursuit of Mr. Green, and he ended up knocking him down. I don't have specifics of exactly what happened, but Mr. Green died. 
Um, the murderer, who is Mr. Fisk, he was arrested and held in $10,000 for his appearance at the next term of the common pleas. Now, in full disclosure, this was my very first story. This was the one that I had picked as my story number one for tonight. But this is it. There's no other articles out there. There was no other trail that led to John Fisk or Arthur Green. This was it. Um, and it's boring. Like, I need more. What happens? What happened to Fisk? I know Green died, but what happened to Fisk? Was he was he imprisoned for 10 years? Was he imprisoned for ever? Did he go back to prison at any point? Like, found nothing. So, that's our, one of our other murders that happened. I don't know what the other one is. I was unable and unsuccessful in finding that. But it's just really interesting that they both have to do with prostitutes, right? So then this, we're back to our uh, the story of January 18th, 1854, and it continues. It happens that two women of bad repute, again, there's that bad repute or prostitutes, temporarily living at a house of ill fame, ill fame, near the distillery of Howe and Cross. Um, so now we know that question that that first article said, like, wh what was the saloon that served them? I believe they were at Howe and Cross. Um, so they came to town yesterday forenoon and became intoxicated in a saloon in the upper part of the city. They're in Toledo. So um, their names, as given on the examination, are Biddy Fury, the murderess, a native of Cincinnati, and Catherine Gilner, the murdered woman, who said she belonged to Cleveland. They arrived in town on Saturday and put up at the house above mentioned. So they're living at a, at a prostitution house, right? Um, when they left the saloon and arrived at the den, which is what they're calling it, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a quarrel rose between them about a pair of gloves. The merits of the quarrel we did not learn, but it appears that Miss Gilner, the one who died, was standing in the kitchen when Miss Biddy Fury came up to her and altercated about the gloves. And on Miss Gilner saying she knew nothing about who had stolen them, Miss Fury drew a large jerk knife from under her shawl and stabbed her near the left breast, penetrating through the stomach and liver and causing death almost instantly. She was arrested by Deputy Marshal Mahone, taken before the mayor of Toledo um, for examination, and by him she was committed to jail to stand trial at the next term of the Court of Common Pleas. Um, so, we're learning a little bit more about what happened. Um, Biddy's gloves were stolen. She thought Catherine stole them. Catherine proclaimed that she had not stolen them. Biddy wasn't hearing it. Biddy said, oh, you stole my gloves. She stabs her to death. Um, so Biddy sounds like a really, she sounds like a firecracker, right? <laughs> so now we kind of move. Um, and I found Biddy pop up once again. It's June 6th of 1855. This is from the Cleveland Herald. And the article was kind of, it was weird because it was like inset again, but it didn't even have a title. And it just said, there are seven women shut up within the walls of the Ohio Penitentiary under the care of a matron. Biddy Fury. So who do we think Biddy Fury is? Because, you know, when I like first started doing my research, I was like, who is this lady? Like, she just sounds like a firecracker, right? Well, Biddy is actually an Irish woman. Um, she has red hair, gray eyes, and a sharp nose. She is one of these seven women at the Ohio Penitentiary. And it goes on to read that Biddy was well-named. 
Um, when excited, her temper was ungovernable. And in one of her tantrums in Slate, Ohio, she stabbed a woman who we know is Catherine Gilner um, as to cause her death. For which offense she was convicted of manslaughter in April of 1854. And then she was sentenced to the penitentiary for 10 years. After being shut up for four months, uh, another little fury came into the world. And Biddy, after being allowed to keep it a year, sent it away to be taken care of by her parents living in Cincinnati. So, Biddy was pregnant when she was sentenced. She had a baby. She was allowed to keep her baby for a year, and then she sent it to her parents to live, which is really, really interesting. So my journey kind of continued, and on September 20th of 1855, the same year, you know, that was in June. Now we're in the September, a couple months later, <laughs> in the, the Galapagos, and I probably am destroying that, and I apologize, journal. Um, it must be down near Cincinnati here. Um, on the 20th of September, it's a Thursday. On page three, the title reads, Escape of Two Females from the Penitentiary. You know where I'm going. So last Sunday, Biddy Fury, and now she has a friend, Margaret Manu, they made their escape from the Ohio Penitentiary in the following manner. They used a board to reach the roof of the female department, and then they attached some web of muslin to a piece of iron fastened to the wall they just let themselves down from there. Um, her friend Margaret was sent up from Galapolis, Ohio, for one year. Galapolis, sorry. For one year, having been found guilty of stabbing with the intent to kill. Um, now we learn a little bit more about Biddy. So Biddy was many years a resident of Cincinnati, Ohio, a notorious in police court. She murdered Catherine Gilner in Toledo in 1854 and was sent up for 10 years. They were, will both probably make their way to Cincinnati, Ohio. There was a reward that was offered um, for their apprehension, but then my case went a little cold. Um, but don't worry, I found something else. <laughs> so I was kind of hunting around a little more, which we all know this is what I do. And guess who pops up in 1881? Um... So, in the Cincinnati Inquirer, on the 25th of December, 1881, this is Sunday, on page 12, Biddy Fury pops up again. And the title read, The Murder of George Tahor, A Mystery. Um, so, I just found this really, really fascinating because her story is not finished. And it's actually, it's Tabor, T-A-B-O-R, sorry. And it's, it reads, many years ago, beyond a quarter of a century, there was a scene of blood and murder at a body house. Um, they, it's a body house or it's a bag meal. And I might be butchering that too. I apologize. Um, it was kept by a notorious and infamous woman known by the name of none other than Biddy Fury. The disreputable den was, and again, that den, was one of two brick houses known as the Twin Bricks on Canal Street near Elm. Um, so this is in Cincinnati again. The name of the young man murdered in the affray was George Tabber. One evening he was a visitor at the miserable place when from some unknown cause a quarrel occurred between him and another male visitor and finally the latter drew forth a pistol and drove a bullet in his the head of mr tabor and the victim fell to the floor and died in a very in very few minutes the assassin immediately fled from the terrible scene and 
from the house and triumphantly escapes, and he was never since been found or arrested. Even who he was is yet a mystery. Several parties, as being concerned in some way in the dreadful affair, were arrested, but there was no testimony against them, and they were discharged. The women of the house were called up as witnesses, but curiously, though usual enough, they could not or would not throw any sort of light upon the affair, and the whole matter yet remains a mystery. Biddy Fury, the keeper of the house, was, however, obliged to close her door and to leave the city, and she, it seems, was afterward heard of as keeping the same sort of house in the city of Toledo, and herself committing murder for which she was sent away to the penitentiary for a term of years. So, I just found that really, really fascinating that she pops up in 1881. Like, she has notoriety. She committed an awful crime, and it seems like she just could not escape from this cloud of around her prostitution, and it followed her. I mean, I don't even know if she's alive in 1881. I literally, her trail goes dry. I don't know if she was caught. I'm assuming not because there was nothing published. Um, so who is Biddy Fury? And man, does she have a story? I just thought this one was fascinating. I'm not done digging. I'm still digging. Even though I'm giving you this, I'm so excited I have to share. But I'm not done digging. I want to know who is Biddy Fury? Does she have family? Like, who is this child that she had? And how was their upbringing? Um, so it's really fascinating. If you guys know anything about Biddy Fury, please share. Um, I'm not done yet, though. Like I said, I, I am going to keep keep digging a little bit just because it's a fascinating story. You got to admit, it's fascinating. Um. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for us tonight. Um, now, I am going to publish this on Thursday. And I do have a really awesome, I mean, it's like I've, I've lost my mind, right? Um, I have a great deal going on. So I created the Genealogy Academy. And it is a program that is a self-paced, um, it's about six weeks, um, fully comprehensive certificate program that basically I created when I could not find a program that suited my needs. Um, many of you know my story and my path to becoming a full-time professional genealogist Um I, I had to leave the corporate world. I had to kind of put certain things on hold in order to get my business up and running. And I couldn't find a program that was showing me like, yep, you need to do this in your business. You need to make sure that you are, you know, citing sources this way. You need to make sure that, you know, you have this as part of your business model. You know, you're marketing in this manner. This is how you find clients. I just, I, there was a really big disconnect um, I was purchasing programs and I really was not getting what I was paying for. So one of my goals was as I, as I was building my business was to create a program that allowed others that were like me to start a business, a genealogy business. Um, I give you everything from A to Z. I left all the fluff aside. One of my really big goals was to make sure it was affordable. Um, everybody knows that genealogy businesses are one of the most inexpensive businesses that you can start. So I'm not going to have you pay $1,500 or more because it's worth more 
um, for a course because I really want everyone to succeed. And part of that is making sure that I'm at a price point that is affordable, but it's not full of fluff. Um, thus, the Genealogy Academy was born. It's regularly $149.99. I've gone crazy. I have slashed my prices. It is 75% off until Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so it is $37.99 and it is jam packed full of content. Everything you need to know out of the box on starting your genealogy business. There's no better time. Um, let me tell you with all of the DNA tests going out right now with all of the push for ancestry and their commercials, there's no better time to level up and be a professional genealogist because let me tell you, it is not plug and play. Like they make it look on TV. You really need somebody that knows what the heck they're doing. Um, being a great researcher is the name of the game. I feel like I'm in that level um, and I give my all. What makes my course different is the fact that while you're going through it, you get access to me the entire time. I'm a real person. It's only me. But it does help because if something's not making sense, you can stop. You can reach out to me. We can work it out together because I want everyone to succeed that goes through my course. This is my best-selling course. I'm super, super excited about it. So if you're interested, I have links all over the place. Um, just make sure that you are putting Black Friday, all caps, in the coupon code all together. Um, and you're going to save 75%. And this is wild. And I will not offer this ever again like this. So please take advantage of it. Um, I do also have gift certificates that are available. When you start thinking about the upcoming holidays and shopping, there's those dreaded folks that seem to have everything. So why not give them a gift that keeps on giving? And that's the gift of genealogy. It's really, really special. It's thoughtful. I have gift certificates available that are perfect for printing up and adding to the stocking. Um, four hours of research time is $200. Jump on that, though, because I am getting ready to stop working with clients for a little bit. Um, and it's just because I'm growing and I'm just kind of refocusing. Um, but if you do um, grab the research time, it includes a free kickoff consultation, a customized research report to help your loved ones learn their ancestor stories and share for generations to come, as well as options to add a customized family tree that you can print and display. So there's tons of options. You can also use a gift certificate to um, pay for the course. It is lifetime access for the course. And I don't just have the Genealogy Academy program. I also have a DNA and genetic genealogy program, which is insane. Like it's, there's so much, it's jam-packed. It's like 29 modules and it is a lot. Uh, but if you're looking to level up, that's also available. And then I have a la carte courses and I have um, a workshop program as well. So, you know, definitely check out the store. If you're looking to display your family tree, you can help celebrate and share your ancestors by having a custom family tree made for print. Family tree displays, they really make a great, thoughtful gift for your loved ones. Um, and they can even serve as icebreakers for curious relatives. They're a valuable research tool that really helps sum up your family history process. They can sure up any genealogy gaps that you have and really help provide an at-a-glance reference reminder to where you come from. Family trees are also popular features for family reunions and even weddings, which is a lot of fun. Charts and trees are really a great way to show your family members the geographic areas and timeframes of how your family moves through the past. Um, it's incredibly powerful and can show names and or photographs of your ancestors within it, which is really neat. 
I offer a few customizable options and I create them using your guidance and send to you in a file that is yours forever to keep, to print, to distribute as needed. The family trees can be printed and displayed on a wall or used within a family research binder to bring all your research together. Um, my family trees are creative and unique as I work with you to tell your ancestors stories really in a beautiful way that can be displayed and carried on for generations to come. I'm really a sentimental person, so I'm all about having something that can be carried on. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. I really hope that you guys enjoyed our story. If you learn anything more about Biddy Fury, please share. Um, I'm going to keep doing my research and due diligence. So look for a Biddy Fury story in the future as well. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>